and welcome to Between the Liars with Ryan, and welcome to another episode of Bill Me, where I read the legislation and I track down what our government is doing, so you can just tune in and you don't have to worry about it. Today we're going to be talking about H.R. 5376, which has been misnomered the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. This was the bill that was passed by Senate Democrats, passed along party lines. Kamala Harris, as the vice president, was the tie-breaking vote. Part two is going to deal specifically with the IRS funding and also some of the Medicare, Medicaid uh, medicine that is available and how the government is fixing those prices. To give you a brief summary, basically what the Democrats have done with this bill is they're capping insulin prices. Now, that should sound familiar because Donald Trump capped insulin prices before he was voted out of office. And the first thing that President Biden did was he removed that cap. So I'm skeptical of whether or not the Democrats are doing anything other than trying to gain political favor. Uh, but be aware that not only is this uh, not getting us back to where we were. In my opinion, I think it's going to wind up being worse, and you'll see why when we get to the text of the bill, but it's basically only allowing for that negotiation of prices for specific people, and then they place so many limits on what is exempt, what is not, that when all is said and done, it looks more like a nothing burger with this um, entire bill, at least these two sections. And then uh, don't forget that nearly $80 billion was allocated in IRS funding. This is largely, um, as specifically stated by the Democrats, they wanted to enforce audits. They said that we're trying to recoup lost revenue. Now, lost revenue for the IRS means that they didn't have enough agents or enough manpower to be able to um, enforce the tax evasions on people that they think are evading. Now, remember, I mentioned this last time, and I've placed in the description below the study that states this, but you are more likely to be audited by the IRS if you make under $200,000, which again means that the Democrats uh, who are in office, as well as the Republicans, so your elites who are the in the House and the Senate, they're not going to be audited. In fact, they've written themselves out of that. And then the millionaires, billionaires that they like to loud as the people who need to pay their fair share will likely also not be audited. So there's the summary of what the bill is going to do and some news uh, surrounding it. It's basically the same as last time. This was a 557-page boondoggle of, in my opinion, government bloat because it doesn't actually do as much of what they're saying it does. It really just expands the government power, including their power to tax. Remember last time, and I've linked this below as well, Look right here, too. Uh, you will be able to see the bill that covers a section that expands the taxes on the people, although they tried to reassure us that it's not going to affect people who make under 400000 We'll get into that in just a moment as well, because the important thing to remember here is that in the language of the bill, it's also businesses that make over 400000 most businesses are making over 400000 in revenue. We're not even talking 400000 in profits. We're talking about you brought in 400000 as a successful business. You are now eligible to be taxed the way that they changed the tax codes. Remember that this was also passed by simple majority, which means that usually a bill like this, anything that has this sweeping overarching change, IRS, tax codes, pet projects, etc., it usually needs 60% uh, of the vote, so 60 of the 100, not a bare majority or a simple majority of 50. However, the way that this was set up, and remember I talked about this more in depth last time, the Democrats basically said, well, this is related to taxes, which is related to budgets, which means we can use budget reconciliation. 
Budget reconciliation, if you recall, is where they only need 50% plus the tiebreaker, Kamala Harris. And so they passed it. And I mentioned last time that my fear here is that they've basically now broken the mold. Politicians will now forever and always be able to say, if I can make it connect to taxes or to budgets in some way, even if it's one piece out of 500 pages, then I can pass it through budget reconciliation. Democrats have now set that precedent. I would be shocked if Republicans don't take this the next time that they take over the House and the Senate. Like, I think that this is just going to be our new normal, which means we're going to see a lot more swinging back and forth of drastic changes in the tax codes. One of the reasons we needed 60% as that standard was so that we were less susceptible to the whims of the political field and were more likely to have what they would call the quote-unquote true representation of the people. If you could get 60% of the votes, then in theory, when the founding fathers set it up, you were supposed to um, have a better idea, or at least one that's moderate enough to get people on board. That's no longer the case here. Now, remember, before we get into this, remember that you can help the show massively by liking and subscribing and also following us at Between the Liars on our uh we have, let's see, Instagram, we've got Facebook, we've got Twitter. I did post earlier, we were starting a little bit late today, had some stuff going on at the start of the semester for me. First day of teaching was today. Had a great time with my students. So uh, if you want those live updates, be sure to follow us on our Twitter page and check those. And then if you want to know when things are uh, released as far as scheduling, special guests we're going to have on, I tend to post more of those on our Instagram, also our Facebook page. You can also catch our live streams uh, Tuesday and Thursday, and eventually Ken and I will get Blueprint up and running as a live stream as well. Right now, you're just seeing the uh, recordings released on Fridays. New series. Check it out. Uh, description is below, as well as the link to our first episodes. Okay, so let's go ahead and just jump right into that. I'll go ahead and share the bill text here. Looks a little different, like I mentioned last time. I'm highlighting. Helps us get through this faster, especially when it's over 550 freaking pages. I'm not going to read everything. I'm going to read what I think are the most important parts, but the full text is going to be linked below. I encourage you, if you're interested, check that out. And then we'll get into the questions that I have, my ratings, and then the watch list. Part three. Now, this is part two for me, but part three for their bill. Funding the Internal Revenue Service and improving taxpayer compliance. I don't know. That sounds dystopian to me. <laughs> okay. Revenue laws and other financial crimes to purchase and hire passenger motor vehicles and to provide other services as authorized. Um, anytime I see this, this is just my personal gripe. It's rather vague. Other services. Uh, let's see. 45... Billion six hundred and thirty-seven million four hundred thousand is to remain available until September thirtieth, twenty thirty-one. Provided these amounts shall be in addition to amounts otherwise available for such purchases, which means that whatever budget the IRS had before for these things, this is not like the grand total. This is in addition. It is an expansion. So when we say eighty-seven billion, that's the expanded value pack for the IRS. Operations support for necessary expenses of the Internal Revenue Service to support, to determine and collect taxes, to provide legal and litigation support, to conduct criminal investigations, to provide digital and monitoring and compliance activities to enforce criminal statutes related to violations of internal such rates as may be determined by the commissioner. 25,326,400,000 to remain available until September 30th, 2031, provided that these amounts shall be in addition. Again, it is the expanded pack. Now, business systems 
modernization. This is to provide a more personalized customer support, uh, customer service, but not including the operation and maintenance of legacy systems. So this is just to give you, make you feel more welcome. So when you have to deal with the IRS, if you've ever had to deal with them now, I have not personally had to, but my understanding from all accounts is that it is a nightmare. It is almost impossible to get a hold of them. In theory, they're supposed to be helping their customer service. Personally, I hate customer service. I hate sitting on hold with them. I hate trying to get all, you know, trying to get to the right thing, being transferred a million, billion times. But they're putting all of that money towards that portion there. Skipping back up a page for just a second. So this is for the enforcement section. This is to determine and collect owed taxes, provide legal and litigation support to conduct criminal investigations, provide digital asset monitoring and compliance activities. I just want to go over that again and remind you that this is this is going to be expanded and it's going to be strengthened, but really it's going to be focused on people who make less than 200000 in a year because statistically that's what we've seen uh, the focus has been on and they're going to shore those up. The other thing is that they're also going to determine this based off of what is most efficient for them. So, for example, if they go after people who make under two hundred thousand, they don't. Those people tend to not have as much of the know-how and like the understanding of the tax codes. They also tend to not be able to hire the lawyers who are going to be able to fight that, and they also tend to not have the additional funds to be able to fight them in court. So they're more likely to settle, etc. Now that can be a dangerous precedent and dangerous situation for people to be in because we've seen the IRS be abused in the past. We've seen it be operationalized on behalf of a particular party that's in office, and then. We see that with that precedent being there as an option, we know that this is a thing that the IRS can do. If you watch the live stream that I did uh, with the debate portion with Josh and Tony Kay, that can also be linked below and up in the right-hand corner here. One of my big gripes here is that this is basically a three-letter mafia. It's a branch of the government that is not voted in by the people. Uh, they are jobs that are appointed usually by the um, executive branch by the president of the United States as the leader. And then they tend to have people, you know, like obviously I could apply for a job at the IRS. I'm not voted in, but that branch itself, it's much like the CIA, the FBI, et cetera. Uh, it's, it's not necessarily directly accountable to the people, unlike Congress is supposed to be and unlike the president is supposed to be. So what we see here is that this is a branch that also is able to circumvent due process. So you, when they come after you, you are guilty until proven innocent. Like you're, you, you have to prove that your innocence, there's not much due process. They can uh, mobilize asset seizures, etc. In fact, what we just read was that they're looking for more finances to be able to make sure that they have the capability to do this. Now, am I saying that that means that suddenly everyone's going to be monitored and have the right strip? No. I'm saying that we're expanding the power of a branch of government which has minimal accountability to the people and has minimal oversight. To me, that seems to be a bit problematic. However, they are losing revenue because they're not able to have the same number um, of agents to make sure that this gets enforced. If you have no enforcement, you have no way of making sure that you garner this revenue. So they're trying to shore that up. On their part, it's a smart move. Uh, for the rest of us, I'm not saying it's not a smart move. I'm saying that you know it can have consequences depending on how it is used. So we talked about the customer service here, and then we, they want under Part B here a task force to design an IRS-run free direct a file tax return system for necessary expenses of the Internal Revenue Service to deliver to Congress within nine months following the date of the enactment of this act. 
So nine months from now, because, well, it's been passed. It hasn't been signed by the president yet. So once it's signed by the president, presuming it passes uh, the House of Representatives, they have nine months, and then they have to uh, provide a report on the cost, including operations for differential coverage based on taxpayers until September 30th, 2031. Provided that these amounts shall be in addition to amounts otherwise available for purposes. So every time they come through here, they're saying <laughs> this is this is an addition. And that's the way that the law has to be written. Now, note here, you've got $50 million to remain available until September 30th of 2021. And a lot of this section is saying you can use your budget, but you need to leave this amount for this category. And these are the line items that I've talked about that they need. This amount needs to go towards this. This amount needs to go towards that. You must have at least this much left. Then under the program, with respect to each price applicability period, the secretary shall publish a list of... Um, oh, we've skipped now. Hold, please, one second. I don't know where that page went. Um, bu -bu -bum. There we go. Publish a list of selected drugs in accordance with Section 1192. So this is now... Uh, the IRS, basically, it's very straightforward. They've got um, a set amount that they have, a set amount that they have to leave. And then we've got... This basically the government is going to be fixing the amount that they deem to be a quote unquote fair priced, uh, fair price for the not for the medical aid because it doesn't talk as much about Medicare and Medicaid. It talks more about the medicine that people purchase, the drugs, the drug development, etc. And what you're going to have is you're going to have a fixed profit through this language here. What's going to happen, number one, the and this is done at the leadership of the secretary, if you recall, we wound up saying last week that the secretary has a lot of discretionary power. This is what the secretary is going to be doing. Number one, publish a list of selected drugs in accordance with section 1192, and then enter into agreements with manufacturers of selected drugs with respect to such period in accordance with section 1193. And then number three, negotiate and if applicable, negotiate maximum fair prices for such selected drugs in accordance with the section 1194. Now, here's my little note that I put here. Anytime you fix a profit in a capitalistic free market structure and you limit the amount of profit somebody can make and you say, you, this is a fair price. And we know that we, or at least I think we can assume that we'd see something similar to the language that the Democrats have been using for gas prices, right? So there's a lot of taxes piled on top of uh, gas prices that the state and the federal and then the cities can level on top of these, which means that if if I can make something for $10 and I charge 20, so whatever it costs me for, I have $10 profit there. And they're like, well, you got to pay uh, $4 in your national tax and $3 in your state tax and $2 in your local tax. Well, now I'm only looking at like three, four, five dollars profit max. Not as bad, but what they're doing now is they're going to shrink that because they're saying, well, pff, there's no reason for you to be charging $20 or $10 over what it costs you to make it, even though they're taxing it and regulating it. And then they say, so that means, well, you can only charge a $7 profit. You can't charge 10. Well, now I've got a dollar profit. And at that point, frankly, it's not worth my time because I, as a manufacturer, let's say I have employees and et cetera and so forth. But they, they water this down with the narrative that X thing is greedy, whether it's the corporations or the billionaires or whoever they want to point their finger at. And they say, these people are greedy. That's why the prices are so high. And there are times, yes, where greed is a factor. However, if the government fixes profit margins, we never see that being a positive economic factor for the consumers. Basically, what a fixed profit means is there is a fixed margin 
for which people can actually invest their time, their money, their labor, etc., and have a return on their investment. And then you have to account for taxes, etc., which the government is raising now. They have a couple of options. They either don't make them, so they don't produce things because it's not economically feasible for them to do so, or the quality goes down. So if I can't make this high, this quality of product uh, for uh, $10 anymore, so I can only charge a profit of seven, but I can still charge seven, but now I lower the quality by a little bit, I'm able to make it again. Like those, those as a producer are my two options. Well, that eventually trickles down to how it affects the consumer. So these are things we want to think about as we're thinking about what is the government writing in terms of their tax codes, as well as their fixing of prices here. Initial price applicability year, the term initial price applicability year means a year beginning with 2026, the period beginning with the first initial price and applicability year with respect to which drug is selected, drug and ending with the last year during which the drug is selected drug. So these are definitions right here. Now here they have the term for maximum fair price and that is dispensed to the individual at a pharmacy by a mail order service or by another dispenser, an individual who's enrolled in a prescription drug plan under Part D, Title 18, Roman numerals killing me here, uh, or an MAPD plan under Part C of such title. So what this is doing here is it's saying that this is what it's going to be. This is the definition. It's a fair price, eligible individual means with respect to a selected drug, the things that I just read. What they're saying here is this is the maximum amount a consumer can pay. So if we go from production to pharmacy or, uh, to pharmacy sales, et cetera, and, and wherever they add up the prices, everybody takes their cut for their services. By the time it gets to the consumer, there is now a max amount that they can pay. Conversely, that would mean there's a max amount that they can charge. What this usually means, especially if we're looking at like an example of this that would run parallel is like insurance rates when they when they set those, when they fixed those insurance companies wind up raising your deductibles or your premiums like they find a place that the government's not regulating, then they raise them or they're going to say, all right, this age group category, etc. is too high risk. And by too high risk, it means we're likely to have to keep paying out. And because we can't recoup that money based off of, you know, just charging you a higher premium, we just can't cover you. The consumer never wins here anytime the government gets involved in fixed prices because it tampers with the free market. It limits who can exchange what goods and services with whom and for what price they can exchange those for. And so eventually you just reach a world in which people are just not insured because they're too high of a risk. Or we're not going to cover these under our plan. Like we will not allow X prescription to fall under this particular plan because you're not paying enough for it to be profitable for us. Profit is always driving. And we can argue that that's greedy and that's, you know, I, I disagree with that. But if we're saying that profit, I mean, that's just where the market goes. I'm not saying that there are not people and corporations who charge more than they should, more than what would be um, a reasonable amount. But when the government passes a bill that says we're fixing a reasonable amount, reasonable amount is incredibly subjective. What is a reasonable amount? What is, what is it to you? You can comment below. <laughs> what do you think is a reasonable amount? Because I guarantee you what you think is a reasonable amount, I will think of as different. You know, I mean, I'm going to, of course, think, you know, the less I can pay, the better. We don't tend to think big picture, right? When I have to pay my monthly insurance for health care or life insurance, you know, whatever you're being insured for, we tend to think, man, money's going out. And if someone comes to you and says, well, you can pay less. 
<laughs> well, I'd be like, well, great. And what this bill, I think, is doing in the way that it's been covered, we don't often think about what is the trade-off here. So as we're going through, I'm trying to get us to think. I'm not saying this is the way it's going to be, and I'm not saying that this is bad. I'm saying that this is very likely what will happen. In fact, what we just saw was, I think it was Ford and GMC, two of the major car manufacturing companies, the amount that the Biden administration basically taxed them and like rearranged funds or limited, however they did it exactly, um, it was a, a credit so that people could get credit for electric vehicles, EVs. They just slap that on as additional tax. We don't win here anytime the government does that. So here they say in general, not later uh, than the selected drug publication date. With respect to an initial price applicability year in accordance with submission B, the secretary shall select. So the secretary selects and publish a list of the following things. Uh, number one, a negotiation eligibility drugs uh, described in paragraph A of subsection D1, but not subparagraph B of such subsection. And this is why I say that they kind of shuffled around so many things. You get lost in that shell game. It's like the car where they're like, find the queen or find uh, the little, little ball under the shells, and they're switching them around. You lose track. And they say, well, these things are eligible, but, be, but these things are. Uh, but these things are in these specific circumstances, or these things are if they're subsidized by X, Y, or Z things or by the government. And then when we when all said and done, nothing's really changed at least that I can notice. Number two right here, 15 negotiation eligible drugs. 15 drugs. And later on, we'll also see that it's, there's also specific parameters, like new drugs, experimental drugs, uh, very niche drugs for like very dangerous diseases, etc. Those are not eligible for this. Uh, also, if it's not a part of the uh, Medicaid and Medicare, so for more elderly people, it's not going to count. And right here it says they select from ranked drugs with the negotiation eligible drugs with the highest ranking drugs. Uh, the secretary makes a determination described in paragraph one, and it shall not be subject to the negotiation process under the section 1194 with respect to such negotiation period and shall continue to be considered a selected drug under this part with respect to the number of negotiation eligible drugs published on the list under subsection A with respect to such initial price applicability year. Between that specific section and then everything else that they've got going on here, basically what this means is we've got a list of drugs that are eligible for price negotiation. We're going to fix them. We've got the rest of them are not. So in the grand scheme of things, very unlikely that given the limited list that you're even going to encounter things that are limited where you benefit from that. But where companies pass off other things, we're likely to have to foot that bill. So here's how they define a negotiation-eligible drug. It means a qualifying single-source drug, uh, as defined in subsection C, that is described in the following paragraphs. Basically, they can also offset or like reset this by if one company that's currently producing it is eligible for this negotiation, but then it's acquired by a different company, resets. And that drug is no longer uh, going to be subject to this type of price fixing. So in theory, what I think that that would result in is companies will sell out to other companies, at least as a shell corporation, in order to avoid paying taxes. Companies are not dumb. Uh, unless you evoke like a Maoist, communistic Chinese approach to artificially regulating the market, and you say, well, not only can you not charge this, but you can't leave, you can't go anywhere, and we're forcing you to continue to produce this or else we're going to punish you. They're just they're either going to stop producing, they're going to pass it off to someone else, or they're going to pass that off as a shell corporation. Like I don't really see another way that that comes out.
Now, Part D here deals with the drugs. It says determined by the secretary in accordance with paragraph during 2021 and defined as are equal to or less than 1% of the total expenditures under such Part D are equal to at least 80% of the total expenditures under such Part D as so determined for all covered Part D drugs for which the manufacturer of a drug has an agreement in effect under Section 1860D14A during such year. Now, they don't actually lay this out in the bill at all. Uh, it's in a different section of the law. And this is why these are not only boring, they're very convoluted. And what really disturbs me here is that people, namely our senators and stuff, they don't actually read this enough for, uh, you know, and they don't give them enough time even to read and skip around enough before we actually wind up calling for a vote on it or they call for a vote on it. Here's the limitation. A drug shall not be considered to be a qualifying single source drug prescribed in these clauses if the manufacturer of such drug is acquired after 21, uh, 2021, so at any point now. Uh, by another manufacturer that does not meet the definition of a specified manufacturer. This is why I say buyout and shell game. And then they talk about specific selected drugs, etc. and so forth. Okay, here we have it. It says, has been licensed under Section 351A of such acts and is marketed, sold, or distributed dis uh, directly or indirectly to retail class of trade under a different labeling, packaging, etc. Uh, does not include any of the following. And then here are their... Uh, limits and that includes trial and rare drugs they're not going to be affected by this so if you have a rare disease and a company wants to charge you an exorbitant amount it doesn't look like that's going to be affected here manufacturer agreements and this is the part that really bothered me the secretary shall enter into agreements with the manufacturer of selected drugs with respect to a price applicability period which means that they're getting select uh select manufacturers are going to receive uh government contracts effectively um, and we saw this play out with baby formula co co uh, companies. When we had a shortage, in large part, it was because, number one, the FDA has incredibly high and rigorous standards to where even formula that was good enough for other countries, uh, like in Europe, like, you know, countries that are pretty comparable to the U.S. as far as, like, or should be as far as, like, standards of living, as far as, like, you know, <laughs> what we ingest, uh, Good enough for them, not good enough for us, so they would throw out those. But also, what would happen is the government gives a contract to one of three different formula companies. We'd probably see something similar here, and then those get the contracts to manufacture whatever the product is. So whatever the drug is, which means they're then going to fix the prices. So that means that we're instead of saying, ah, Ryan's company can make it for cheaper and better than Josh's company, the free market is going to gravitate to him. The government might say, no, no, Josh has the government contract, so we're going to give Josh the money, you are not allowed to make this. You're not allowed to compete. Like that's effectively what we're getting into here is a fixed market, depending on how they actually enforce this. But the way this is written, it seems to me that that is completely 100% within the scope of possibilities here. Uh, they're also fixing like access to the maximum fair price. It says here pursuant to paragraph two with respect to such a selected drug shall be provided by the manufacturer. Uh, if we look up at the top of this page here, though, under paragraph A, it says to maximize fair price eligible individuals who with respect to each drug are described in the subparagraph A of section 1191 C2 are dispensed such drug and to pharmacies, mail order services that are just covering all of their bases there. Um, during any year, the price applicability period with respect to such drugs. And then there's a second, well, basically it's a, uh, it's a second, uh, stipulation here, uh, to hospitals, uh, physicians and other providers. So like they've covered both of their bases 
here, and they're fixing a maximum fair price. My one comment here uh, is, again, going back to, well, what is a maximum fair price? Well, the government is fixing that. It's incredibly vague. It also means that, in theory, it could shift based off of the discretion of the secretary. So if the secretary is appointed by the president, let's say you might see some shifts between the two, which means you'll see volatility in the market anytime an election year comes up. Uh, we've already saw that when um, you know Democrats have passed bigger uh, spending bills, et cetera, when there is uncertainty in the market, stocks tend to not do as well. Uh, it tends to fuel the recession. It tends to, you know, have effects on inflation, et cetera. Uh, and it's a very complicated model. But the bottom line is when people have high levels of uncertainty and they're speculating um, as to, well, what's going to be bought, we're less likely to see manufacturing. We're less likely to see the jobs. We're less likely to see uh, the people be willing to take on that risk. This is going to have a similar effect. It's just going to be very specific to the niche market there. The manufacturer of a selected drug shall not be required to provide access to the maximum fair price. Under So basically everything we just read as far as, oh, we need a fair price, etc. The manufacturer doesn't have to provide that. So not only are they fixing this, they're also not requiring a level of transparency. Now, here's where I think, because like you and I won't, they, we can't say, show us what the fair price is. Show us your books. Now, I don't know the current rules and regulations, so I'm not going to say that, you know, oh, they definitely had access to that currently. But here's something that I'm a little bit worried about, because hypothetically, this could fly under this new code. Let's say the government gets in bed with these corporations because that's happened, still happens, and then they fix a high price so they don't even work to our favor. And they said, well, a million dollars is a fair price. Secretary gets to determine that. We don't have to show you what a fair price is. You have to pay it. And not only that, we've eliminated uh, any of the competitors. So you will not be able to get it elsewhere. Now, there's sections of this that talk about generic drugs. So like your Walmart version, et cetera, uh, you know, great value version of you know, whatever it is. And it doesn't say they're going to be eliminated, um, but it does seem like I, I could see if it's not written in such a way that they get the contract, then you don't have those as options. But also, I, I, I can pretty much promise you from the writing here, it does, to me, seem like if you don't get a contract, you don't get to manufacture. You don't get that privilege. To me, that is terrifying. Comment below if you've read this and you came away with a different conclusion. I'd love to hear what that is. Okay, methodology and process. And I wrote here, what is the process? Because here's what they said. The secretary shall develop and use a consistent methodology and process in accordance with paragraph two for negotiations under subsection A. Now, we read it. There wasn't a whole lot there. Uh, there wasn't very specific guidelines. They basically said, uh, you can fix prices in this, this, and this way, and that's it. These people can get contracts uh, if they qualify under these statutes that aims to achieve the lowest maximum fair price for each selected drug. Now, again, in theory, it should truly be the lowest fairest price, but it is not only vaguely written, there is no metric mentioned here, and it's up to the discretion of the secretary. That's the law. The law has to be specific. The law here is not specific. So that tends to bother me. And then basically, they're supposed to submit a report every year. And then um, I think we've come up on pretty much, uh, they've got compliance monitoring, the establishment of procedures to ensure that the maximum fair price for selected drug is applied before any coverage or financial assistance. Like basically before you can get the benefits of all of these things, we've got to sort all of this out. They've wrapped it up in a beautiful bow of red bureaucratic tape. And then they talk about the violations of them. But that's pretty much what they're doing here. I want to keep scrolling to make sure um, that I've got this. 
they've got licensing and stuff like that but yeah that's that's pretty much the way this is going to be so here is uh let's see they got an anti-abuse rule here on page one i think it was 132 yeah so you got to manufacture a rebate for certain drugs and it just goes on and on but like it doesn't get any better uh, there's there's more specifics but again it seems to be more of a a do nothing sandwich Sub, 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 subsection four. The manufacturer is not a first approved applicant for a competitive generic therapy. Uh, therapy. Uh, so again, they're having like a list here of like uh, how the FDA, again, another three-letter mafia here, uh, National Drug Code Directory, if it's not a first applicant, if it's not a first approved, and then you got a biological license, payment, amount, benchmark. Now, there was a section that we didn't read and have scrolled too far past it, uh, but what it did is it basically said that the secretary gets to fix the price, they get to set it, and they get to set it off of their metrics, which they don't outline here, but I assume they've got them somewhere else, surely, but I don't know. And then they say, well, these companies get to push back, and they get to counter-offer, but it has to be done within specific parameters, like they only get 30 days, and then they have to like be very specific as to why they think this should be more, based off of the metrics of the government here. Now, I don't know exactly what would happen, if they refuse to do it, I would assume the government would go to somebody else. But let's say that the government says, hey, you've got to do this for $10 less than what it would cost them to do it, right? And they're like, well, that's a fair price to the point that no one's making a profit now. The reason that all of Europe gets to have socialized health care, the reason that Canada gets socialized health care and that it's not garbage um, that they have for medicine and then we continue to be innovative, it's not because of them. Because their taxes don't cover that part. It's because of the capitalistic innovation in the free market of the United States. If we start fixing those things, globally, there will not be as many options. There will be fewer risks taken, and subsequently, we can just assume that there will be fewer, newer drugs to combat these diseases that we have coming up. COVID's butt was kicked because largely the United States wrote grants and had grants and put their best people on it. If you fix these things, then we won't have that anymore, not to the same degree. Now, everyone else gets to benefit from that because they don't have to be innovative with the medication. They just need to take the taxes of their people and pay for them. Part three here deals, uh, part three, part D, uh, improvements and maximum out-of-pocket cap for Medicare beneficiaries. Uh, let's see. This is just the technical jargon. But again, something to remember for this section as you know we go through it where we fix prices, where Medicare, now that's government subsidized, but if you were to do like private se sector fixing, because I'm sure that will probably be the next thing, uh, usually a society does like a public option and then they kind of do away, like it, it just gets progressively worse. And Josh and I can debate that as a later time. <laughs> but that's a little too far down the rabbit hole. But again, this really, uh, a good chunk of this is specific to Medicare, Medicaid, Section 1860D-14C, the Manufacturer Discount Program. Uh, there's a lot going on here, but let's go ahead and let's just shift over to talking a little bit about what some of my ratings are. So as far as legislation, uh, 
FSC goes, you already know I'm giving this a one out of five. I, I, I think that this will have effects. Like the IRS, IRS, of course, is going to get more manpower. Uh, they're going to be able to close more loopholes. But as far as how much it actually does what, you know, the media has been saying that it will do and the Democrats have been saying it will do, which is reduce inflation. That's how it's been covered. Not going to happen. Uh, as far as how it's going to benefit the consumer when it comes to uh, medical negotiations. Again, I, I highly, I'm highly skeptical of how that's going to be beneficial. Uh, media accuracy, I give it a three out of five. Uh, I don't know. I'm just taking this point by point, just largely because this hasn't been covered as well by the media, but when it has, they just go with the line item. Ah, we're, we're letting them negotiate. They don't read this, and then they certainly don't apply critical thinking. So I'm going with the three out of five because I don't think that they're necessarily being uh, they're not as dishonest as they have been on some of these where they're like manipulating it uh, way out there. But at the same time, just by not covering it and by going with the line items when they do, I don't think that they're really giving you the full picture. I'm not saying it's malicious. I'm saying that realistically, I think that unless you checked out this channel or you read the bill or you follow content creators somewhere that do something similar to this, you probably don't know exactly what's going on here. And to me, that's a problem. So that's why we do this show. Uh, here's some questions that I would leave you with. Number one, how will drug innovation be affected? I think that, you know, given the capitalistic structure and where we've seen this happen in the past, I don't think that it's going to go well. Um, I really think that what's going to happen is we'll see, like, if they really enforce this writ large, like across the entire system, then I really think that we will see uh, less innovation. How will prices be affected? Something to remember is that anytime you get a price break or anyone is forced to, quote unquote, pay their fair share, those prices are going to be passed on to us. We just saw it with the automobiles and the EVs and that revolution, subsidies, etc. Uh, et We're going to see that anytime the government passes that, uh, these people get rich for a reason. If you think a company is corrupt and then you think that suddenly, you know, being like, you need to pay your fair share. Uh, and that's what the, you know, that's what these senators said. Then suddenly they will. I think that's a little naive. I think that like if you're truly worried about them not paying their fair share, I don't think this bill is going to fix that. I think that it just passes consequences that gives them the political clout that they need in the middle of an election cycle. And then those uh, economics get passed on to us. Uh, again, remember that's passed on through premiums and deductibles, you know, things like that. Like that's just they, they find a way to do it. And if they don't have a way currently and we don't have a precedent for it, they'll find a new way. Uh, or they'll go out of business and then we don't have those options. Like I mentioned, sometimes the option is just, yep, sorry, you're too high risk. We can't afford to cover you. Uh, and that happened a bit. Uh, that wasn't the entire reason that some of these people were kicked off of their plans when uh, this was newly, like Medicare, Medicaid was newly passed under President Obama. But like the you can keep your doctor was rated the lie of the year by the Washington Post. For multiple reasons, one, the way that it was written, but two, doctors just weren't covering people after that. So like there's a lot, it's a very complex issue here and we need to remember that. Uh, question three here, do we really want the government negotiating for us? Like uh, on that note, do you think the government has your best interest at heart? Do you think that they have the capability to fence these people in, in a way that you truly get the best deal? Historically, I don't think that that's the case. Usually what we tend to get is less transparency written into the bill here, which I mentioned, uh, they don't have to provide those things, uh, fewer options, and then also a monopoly on production and sales. And this is not going to be a hypothetical. The way this bill is written, it does in fact give a monopoly because these specific corporations developing the prescription drugs are given a single contract. Uh, let's see. Question four, how will companies be affected? If you're, they're probably going to limit their risk would be my guess. But like, I, I would think through, you know, what, what will 
you know, what will they do? Comment below. Uh, how will this affect them? And then finally, how will we be affected as uh, consumers? So prices, if I had to guess, I think they're going to go up uh, in some way or another. Like in the entire system of what are you paying on a monthly basis, whether it be like the combination of your premiums, your coverage, your insurance, etc. I think that you're going to be paying more overall. That would be my guess. But comment below. Tell me what you think. Uh, and if you listen to the audio only version, shoot me a, a message in our DMs. Would love to hear or comment on the post when we, we post that on Instagram or Twitter or what have you. Love to engage you guys in the Twitter threads. Uh, uh, let's see. That was all of the questions. So here's the watch list. This is what I would put our government on for the watch list. Number one, uh, the government is expanding the three-letter mafia. I think that you should be watching out for that. We saw the FDA and we saw the IRS. The IRS is getting more funding in the first section of this bill, and the FDA is being given more power in the second to regulate this. Now, they already have the power to regulate these, but they're being given more specific and expansive power. I think that you do need heavy restrictions on things that are being consumed by human beings, but I also think that they tend to create exceptions in ways that maybe they shouldn't. I think that they tend to, um, like when, when they have too much expensive power here, then we put almost too much trust into the quote unquote experts. I'm not saying that they're not experts. I'm not saying that they don't know the best way to do their job, but I'm saying that they're not accountable to the people. And that might be something that we want to watch. Pay attention to that. See where they go with this. You know, look at how they're expanded in the next bill. Look at how the IRS winds up enforcing this over the next year. Like, pay attention to how that happens uh, because we've also seen that uh, the IRS in particular is operational against uh, specific people or specific political parties. Uh, Barack Obama actually this at one point just by what they allowed to be tax exempt and he operationalized the IRS into investigating his political opponents. Uh, and he's not the only one to have done that, but that is one avenue that the IRS can be politically manipulated, and we need to pay attention to that. Uh, the second watch list item here would be the government monopoly on drugs. My question here, do you want the government-approved drugs and manufacturers to be the only ones available? And I'm not talking about, like, the FDA approved this because they had to go undergo rigorous testing. I'm talking about do you want the secretary to be the one who is negotiating what is the quote-unquote best option? Because if they're if they're negotiating the best option, they're not saying, hey, who will do this for this amount? Maybe they do. But probably what will happen is that he, is, he or she is more likely to just say, we'll give you this contract because we've got this incentive here for you to be the one to get that. That happened with the baby formula. That's the way those incentives wind up working and then they usually negotiate they basically have someone in mind and then they negotiate the price and then they say that's a quote-unquote fair price that's usually how this plays out because the government tends to be corrupt so i would say do you you know do you do you trust them I don't. That's why I put them on this watch list and I would pay attention to this. Uh, again, remember that that's what led to not only baby formula shortage, it led to the baby formula uh, price hike, right? Because there was a lot going on here. The FDA were the ones who were unilaterally deciding specific things, ways that were going to uh, fix the shortage. And by all metrics of what we watched unfold, they didn't do the best job. Do you want that redone, like a, a do-over, just, you know, more along the lines with your prescription drugs and what's available. Baby formula was a problem, but there were ways we could rectify that. Uh, there were emergency things that were disbanded, etc., like so that we could import more baby formula, have that, get that supply up. Baby formula is a little different than specific prescription drugs, because if you lower the FDA on drugs as opposed to baby formula in other countries, we could see larger problems. I don't know. Anyway, all that to be said, I would put them on the watch list there for those reasons. Thank you
All right. Remember, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Twitch, and Google Podcasts, and follow us on our social medias to stay updated. If you're enjoying this show, give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. Help us beat that algorithm and get our numbers up. Love to be at the top of the Apple and Spotify charts. Remember, expect service, demand transparency. Our government is of the people, for the people, by the people. They are not above us. Tune in next week.